My guests today on the podcast are Mark Thomas and Drew Pearson. Um, both of them are repeat offenders um, of the Dave Dobson Fun Shops, and uh, they're here to talk about what I learned from Dave, a re continuing series within the podcast of looking at the lessons from Dave Dobson, Dr. Dave Dobson, and his other than conscious communication. So we're no further ado, we're going to get this show on the road. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Gentlemen, how nice to see you guys. You too. Thank you. Great to be here. So, um, gosh, it's <laughs> Mark, I've known you as long as I can remember. And um, that's probably because my memory is starting to go. Dave, 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 Dave was very funny in, in saying that, you know, there are two things that happen when you start getting older. And one is that you lose your memory. And uh, the other one is um, something. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, timing. Um, but Mark, literally, seriously, Mark Thomas, you, you are you. I'm pointing at you. I'm looking at you. Mark Thomas, you're responsible for me going to see Dave in the first place. So I'm going to start with you. So how did you find Dave? How did you get into this Dobson mania thing that we're all here and talking about? What's your history? Well, my first exposures to Dave Dobson were through the Tony Robbins uh, master pra practitioner, master track, trainer's track. Uh, courses that Tony Robbins was doing. He brought Dave in as one of our instructors on a couple occasions. And Dave's work was so different than everybody else in the NLP universe, uh, especially very contrasted to Tony. And so it, it appealed to me that it was there were other ways to do this work uh, that NLP and that what we learned from Dave, the other than conscious communication. So that's, that's where I was first exposed. And then at the tail end of my years working for Robbins Research, Tony's course and uh, course uh, organization, I, around 1987, I took Dave's Fun Shop up in Friday Harbor uh, to spend more time with them and to really study with him and had a delightful experience up there in the state of Washington with Dave. And then uh, later on, and I think probably around 2000 or around that, Drew will know more accurately, uh, I uh, had the pleasure, we brought him into Louisville, New York, where we had a school, and, and he did another fun shop for us there, and it was well attended. So got a lot of time with him that week as well. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah, so yeah, it was after your first fun shop in Lilydale. I, I was there early on. I'm not sure that I was what, – what, what was your first Tony Robbins certification? What, what year was your first? It was in 70 uh, – I'm sorry, 85 was the first one. And I think we met, I, Elaine and I met you around that time. I met you. Yes, yeah, really. In yeah. uh, one of the Robbins courses. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the same one or the one immediately following that that I was also in attendance when I first met Dave as well mm -hmm. um, is in Scottsdale, Arizona when I first met Dave. Mm -hmm. Scottsdale, and then we, again in Palm Desert or Palm Springs. Yeah. I can't remember which yeah. one. Yeah. 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 He he came back a couple of times, but it was. Yeah. After you first went to a fun shop and you came back and you told me this, this is what you said. You said, I don't know what he did. I was in trance half the time, but I came back and everything just worked better. Yeah. So <laughs> that is so ready. true. That is so true. And uh, <laughs> you, when you had the experience of Dave Dobson, you would kind of scratch your head and go, I'm changing, but I'm not sure what's going on and it but it, it's right it's it's i'm doing things better than i did before don't ask me what he, we did with him all week because i i don't know i had to look back to my notes you know the real that i took during the, the program because my memory of the things we were doing it was there but it was so vague and it's like how did i translate that to my work or my everyday life i don't know all i know is, is the experience of being with dave transformed how i related to other people and through time, I became more aware of the things he was doing with us and how it was working. And then as I worked with that material more myself, I got, got a better understanding. It's almost like you had to experience, Dave, and then you had to start applying those things kind of other than consciously in your work. And then you started making conscious connections to it after the fact. So it was like, now I see how this works. Now I see why this works. And uh, that's kind of how I would sum up Dave's uh, work. He, he, um, he had a, a level of what he called courtesy um, that went beyond what the NLP folks talk about is rapport. And his concept of courtesy was courtesy with that other than conscious aspect of ourselves. And so when you were around him, you were just comfortable. In fact, he would start his inductions with, let's get comfortable. And uh, that was how he would start what he did. And, and you would be that way with him when you, whether he was in class or he was doing an induction with you or, or whatever he was doing, there was a comfort, there was an ease about being in his presence. And he could be a curmudgeon, but it wasn't offensive. Most of the time. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, right. I had a few little experiences and where I, Yeah. So let me yeah, turn he to- he could punch you. He could punch you. He could indeed. Um, I remember him with saying- his what, With his words, not with his fist, but- well, he, he once made the point of saying, you know, that he had been a bouncer at this this uh, biker bar or something like that. And he'd been a, an army ranger or something. I don't know what, something like that, where he said, I learned how to kill a person 14 ways from the neck up. It's like, okay, <laughs> but thank you. Well, whatever you say, sir. <laughs> so true. Let me talk to you. How did you, I mean, I think probably you, like me, first heard of Dave from Mark. I, I met Dave at Tony Robbins thing, but I, I was influenced to go to Friday Harbor to spend those two-week fun shops because of Mark's influence. Is that also true for you? Did you get influenced by Mark? Yeah, back in um, the early 90s, uh, Mark was teaching a class on NLP stuff and um, um, 
artistry, communication technologies, and other <clears throat> uh, what I call uh, psychobabble systems. And after that class with Mark, I was getting hooked real quick on you know what's going on with communication and um, how ele elegant it can be versus how it just seems a mundane every everything just sort of you know yeah sure i'll be there at 7 p.m type routine so uh i started uh getting involved and mark mentioned dave and in the late 90s i was able to uh experience a fun shop and then i as you've stated doug as repeat offenders i think i won a total of 10 or 12 times Wow. And every time was a new experience. There was always something, even though it was basically the fun shop by Dave Dobson, there was other things going on as this deepness of communication that he really respected to do with everybody in the class. If it was 60 people, all 60 got that same feeling of, you know, a respect of honor and also like this guy's a real good guy he's a good friend and i just kept going back and a few times sitting at dave's table we would be talking his kitchen table at the house where he would uh conduct the fun shops and you know we would just jibber jabber about stuff out there in friday harbor san juan islands and it was it was interesting because he would sort of go, you know, Drew, that was a little bit sloppy. Why don't you reconfigure your words right there? And I'd go, okay, now I got to remember and go back in. And he's going, you're doing it the difficult way. You're trying to remember. <laughs> Let your OTC find that route for you. And it's like, just, you know, shut up, Drew, be quiet and come on back with another statement. And he's going, okay, there you go. There you go. So being able to, to, to learn this wonderful intimacy of how we communicate with ourselves and then how that pours out to communication, like he says, you know, there's the internal system and there's the external system or the internal language, the external language. And if you can improve those, especially your internal language to yourself, it's just going to improve everything you do. So being a fire test engineer for 28 years, I was really having to communicate, especially with building code officials and, you know, other officials. And obviously fire safety is a real important thing for people in public buildings. And I was noticing, huh, you know, this, this stuff Dave is talking about really works. I didn't have to say a word. And I'm still 25 feet away as the gentleman or, or the woman that's coming towards me, I know is the person I'm going to talk to. They're already feeling comfortable. And, you know, the, the shoulders are happy. They're dropped. They're comfortable. They're already smiling. And I was like, okay, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Very cool. So did you consciously do things that Dave taught? I mean, like, for instance, the other than conscious hello, did you practice that and do that with those people in that those situations yeah um just as an example yesterday i was out to lunch with a friend and the waitress 
when she took our order, she was going, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? And she did that with my friend and myself. And I'm going, hmm, okay, when she comes back and we start to discuss stuff, I'm going to try something else. And it was like, hmm, something I'm doing isn't matching her system of communication so that she's fully aware of the discussion. <clears throat> Third time, I shift something. I don't know what it was. And as Dave used to say, experience experience first, validate later. So I'm experiencing whatever I'm doing, and she's immediately drawn into the conversation. And instead, I like, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to have to repeat that. She was right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you. And it was like, there's that rapport building at an other than conscious level. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. I'm, I'm also really interested in um, the fact that you are not a coach. You are you, you said you were doing some counseling before before Dave, and then yeah. you got into doing this fire safety testing thing that sort of you could do one or the other, but you couldn't do everything. But you still you were able to use what Dave was teaching. In, from my perspective, was teaching to coaches and therapists and stuff, but you were able to use it in your business, you know, the fire testing stuff. Yeah. And, and, and that's the elegance that was, you know, it, it's been with me, you know, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave, for, you know, over 25 years of getting somewhat closer, maybe by this much closer to elegance and what he was professing to be true. And there's, there's a lot of the things that he, he talked about, um, like cross-filing between the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere of the brain. Um, and all that is, is great information because it allows you <clears throat> to know how people may be communicating with themselves before they say something in, in English mm -hmm. or whatever their native language is. Right. And their body is already responding that way too. Right. So it, yeah, I I use it as much. Well, I, I think <laughs> I think it wonderfully uses me very well. <laughs> Good, well said. You know, it's it's funny that you, you talk about you know um, you keep having those thank you Dave moments. Remember a story that he told once where he said that one of his clients who had done some work with some hypnotic work with um, was in an automobile accident, and he was you know badly injured in this automobile accident. And while he was waiting for the ambulance to come, he heard Dave's voice. And, and it really, really helped him through that situation. And Dave was going, oh, well, that's really interesting. What did I say? Because yeah. <laughs> it obviously wasn't really Dave's voice. He wasn't telecommunicating, but it was uh, something that had stuck with this person that came up when he needed it. Yeah. Pretty cool yeah. stuff. And uh, <clears throat> that story was about a guy up in Minnesota. Oh, you know the story. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, he had a, a chainsaw back up and hit him in the face, just missed oh, his left or right eye. And, of course, the wife heard the, the strange noise. She ran out, you know, bundled him up as best as he could. And then after getting surgery and resting in the bed, that's when he started, you know, realizing how Dave 
the teachings Dave, you know, gave to all of us was very helpful for healing. Nice. And the surgeons were surprised because there was very little scarring, huh. you know, months later. Cool. And yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's the difference between a person who's been to 10 fun shops and a person who's been to five fun shops. Cause I thought it was an automobile accident. I didn't remember. Well, chainsaw. There, there were a bunch of those stories. So they definitely interlocked the way he, he placed them. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause the, sometimes the stories will just sort of pop up and think, Oh, well, <laughs> yes, they will. So Mark, do you have any good Dave stories you'd like to tell us? Um, not really. I, you know, I think the biggest thing for me, Doug, is Drew's got so much more time with Dave than I had with him. Um, and he's got a lot, he's got more Dave stories than there's probably an encyclopedia to print. But uh, my, my things with Dave are, as I started to figure out through time, what and how, what it was he was teaching work. And I looked through my notes and so forth. It became real evident that, you know, a lot of what he taught us was so contrary to modern psychological thought, going back through Freud and Jung and all those folks. He was really, he, he contrasted his work with theirs quite a bit. And one of the biggest things was his concept of calling the calling that part of us, which is outside of our awareness, our conscious awareness, the other than conscious versus the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the major foundations since Freudian psychology has been to, as Dave would say, there's, with this concept of the unconscious as it was brought forward through the Freudian uh, thinking and some of the others, it was as if, there, as Dave would say, quote unquote, there's an idiot behind your wheel. And his concept was, is this other than conscious is so on, on track of things, with things in our lives and so out in front of us, in fact, as well, that there, it is anything but brill it's brilliant. And it, it's, it's functional. It is not rational. It is purposeful. It is not cognitive so much. It reads situations we are in a way in front of our walking into them, like Drew was talking about how you walk into a room and people are already interacting and you don't know what that is, but you feel it and you know it. And he would talk to us about how the fact that 96% of your nervous system's activity is outside of your conscious awareness. So once you start living as if that's a very important aspect of our communication, then you get comfortable in your own skin. And, and I think that was one of the biggest things Dave taught us all was getting comfortable in our own, that, that saying, let's get comfortable. But it was also, let's get comfortable in our own skin and our own dealings with other people and go and get connected as, as uh, he taught us too about getting connected with the kinesthetics, the feeling level, those gut reactions where we, we pick up so many uh, pieces of information that we can't consciously process it but it's there and we react to it and, and that goes on all the time you know one of the things doug later on i came across some research that i thought was kind of fascinating and this comes from the 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 area of ophthalmology you know that 96 percent of your retinas perception is is actually peripheral vision the only there's only four percent of your your retinal vision and that that is clear focused vision now that's mm. fascinating because it you know, the peripheral vision is where we pick up most of our cues about what we see. And it's not, hmm. it's, 
goes from it goes from the the four percent, which is crystal clear, sharp vision, to increasing amounts of fuzz. If we would call fuzzy vision, right? But we're picking up things all the time. And I thought it's interesting how that corresponded with what Dave taught us, just from the visual sense alone, right? And um, I and just it was getting comfortable with that. That time is irrelevant. That was the other thing about the other than conscious. That that's why we can have experiences that happened a long time ago and feel like they just happened right now and vice versa. Um, and he also used to talk to us about what we do well, we do other than conscious. You don't think about things as Yogi Berra once said, you can't think and hit the ball at the same time. I think he and Dave went to the same schools together. You know, <laughs> it's like if you're thinking about it and then you're trying to do something, you're not going to do either the thinking or the hitting very well, right? And, you know, Dave was driving that point home. You know, what you do well, you don't think about it. You, you get a competency and then you just act from it. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, I think, parallels that I saw with him and Erickson. Um, in fact, the woman, Lucy Friedman, who I had on the podcast last week, um, had spent a couple of weeks with Erickson. That would have been great, too. Yeah. I mean, thank God we were there at Dobson, but it would have been pretty awesome to be with Erickson. But she said that she she sent me a picture, actually, of, of an autograph. He autographed one of the books that she had. Sweet. Um, yeah, and it's written in purple ink, of course, purple ink, Erickson. And um, he said That's to her, basically, American, yeah. he said, basically, I'm paraphrasing the exact quote. I could pick up the picture, but nevertheless, it said something basic to the effect of don't um, don't trust your conscious mind too much or don't don't focus too much on your conscious mind. It's it's tricky or something. Trust your unconscious mind, which is his famous phrase, Erickson said that a million times, but basically Dave was saying the same thing, except trust your other than conscious mind. It was Dave's yeah. phrase. Tell right. me about the concept yeah. of yeah. Con congruence. Dave often was um, talking about and helping us hopefully to get more congruence in our systems. What, what, how do you define that? How, how do you see congruence or congruence? So you take Mark. it first, and I'll follow him behind you, Drew. Go ahead. Okay. Um, on on congruence, it's it's that comfort zone of knowing as you get a sensation, whether it's a feeling, a visual, an auditory, as you know, a lot of us are taught through NLP and other systems. And with Dave, it goes even more into, okay, find that spot, and know that most of that congruence will be um, communicated as right or wrong by the heart responding first. So he, he really did believe that the heart area was a point of basically yes. If something's going well, he would talk about fear being an ally because if you're going to sense it, it's more than likely going to be in the chest. And it's supposed to be helping you to get to that congruence, to find that message, to find that answer. And, and to me, that's what that congruence is. You're, you're not having to go into worry, regret, remorse, concern. And you can just stay in a nice congruent level of calm. And the answers are easier to receive. Great. 
Thank you. What about you, Mark? Yeah, I would say there's another word that that might help people understand Dave's concept of, of congruence. And I would say that word is alignment, an inner and an outer alignment. Okay. And it's really about the things that, that, that Drew was just talking about, you're that, that internal um, reception and evaluation that we do, and then how in a, having that aligned with our outer behaviors. So that what ends up happening is, is we are, are coming from an authentic self, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's because there's an alignment between the inner and the outer. And from, a, from the NLP teachings, Doug, that we had through Tony and others, it's also when there's an alignment in the process of that with our value structures, okay? The things that we're most, we hold most important in life. And that when we, we create, when we become aware of those internal perceptions and the things that Drew described very well, and we start coming from those spaces and acting out from those spaces, uh, we end up getting, first of all, we, we develop a better awareness of of our own true self, and it's it's a hard, it's a big word and a hard word, but there, there we we get comfortable with our own internal processes, and then and and appreciate the fact that they're all looking out for us versus working against us, and that once you get comfortable with that, then you can align yourself on an outer level with those, and you become more effective, effective at communicating internally, but then it translates you're better at effective communicating on an outer level as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's that's how Dave's work played out, Doug, versus, mm -hmm. um, and, and it was that alignment, or it, he would call it congruence, that was his word, but I would call it an alignment between the inner and the outer. Mm -hmm. Cool, love it. Yeah. I remember a story where, where Dave, and perhaps Drew, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I remember a story that, that the way I remember it was that this um, psychiatrist fellow from from Seattle was coming up to the island to, to have some therapy with Dave, some hypnosis with Dave. And uh, Dave opens the door and the guy standing there says, yes, how can I help you? He said, yeah, I'm here to get some some hypnosis. And Dave said, well, is it is it appropriate? And the guy said, yeah, I mean, it's totally, that's what I, what I came for. And so Dave sent him off to town and said, well, I'll tell you what, there's a there's a nice drugstore in town. You might want to look and see what kind of things they have. Maybe there's a souvenir or something you might enjoy taking back with you from here. Come back in an hour when you think it is actually appropriate. And so he comes back later and said, I'm here for the hypnosis. He said, okay, well, is it appropriate? And the guy goes, yeah, I mean, that's why I came up here from Seattle. So I was like, I'll tell you what, did you notice next to the drugstore, there's, a, there's this gift shop there that has all these different hot sauces in it? Go check that one out for a while and come back when you when you think it's appropriate. And uh, this went on for days, according to Dave's telling of the story. But finally, finally, after a long time. So by the way, that's incongruent communication. So finally, after a long time, the guy comes back and knocks on the door and says, yeah, I'm here for some hypnosis. And Dave says, well, is it appropriate? And the guy goes, I don't know if it's appropriate or not. And Dave said, good enough. Come on in. Have a seat. And, you know, so there is that trusting of the other than conscious, you know, the, the yes that he was getting from the body language, from the other than conscious communication um, that was much more important to him than the conscious communication that came earlier 
when he said, yes, I'm here for that, but his body was saying no. So that incongruence, you know, wasn't acceptable to Dave. Um, so he waited until there was more of a congruent communication and primarily coming from the other than conscious. And it's funny because we, we talk about courtesy. I, I've, I've said this with other repeat offenders before, but um, Dave was always courteous to the other than conscious, but he could be a bastard to their conscious mind sometimes. Yes. He was just, yeah, it was unpleasant um, kind of experiences from time to time. Generally speaking, um, wonderful. Oh. But, yeah. And I, no, I, would, I, I think that, that, go ahead. I was just going to say, in, in 99 out of 100 participants, critters, you know, was his friendly answer for participants, people in the class. Um, one of the stories uh, that happened with a gentleman from um, outside of Western New York, he went to see Dave and uh, he was in one of the fun shops and <clears throat> Dave noticed his his, his feelings, his kinesthetic, the, they were tucked away. The guy wasn't touching them in any way. So Dave started elbowing him in the stomach. And his his name would sort of co coordinate with the word Flash. So Dave started nicknaming him Flash. And the guy got really pissed. I, I talked to the guy after he came back. And... By the by, the end of the ten days or whatever it was for that fun shop that Dave did, um, this guy loved Dave. He, he was enamored with the guy. He was going hated his guts the first three days, but for some reason at the end, I didn't want to leave the island. I wanted to hang out with him. Hmm. Hmm. Nice. So, you know, Dave was congruent. Yeah. Talking about congruent. He knew that the yeah. best way to be your best is to get that other than conscious courtesy relationship with yourself and then allow that to flourish to others. Nice. So, Drew, you never yeah, took all uh, learning. Oh, so go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I want to jump in because what you were that that story you told about the, the psychiatrist, you know, with the the head head stuff that was going on right that what dave would do was he would pop you where you were incongruent yeah. where your mouth where you are not aligned your mouth or and your body were going different directions or your thinking and, and your body were going different <laughs> directions and that's where he would he could maintain courtesy with that other than conscious aspect of us while he popped your your misalignments or you pop your incongruences and it pop you hard like you said sometimes he he it was almost as if well he had no sympathy for for your crap <laughs> you know you weren't gonna get away with it with him and he was and he was gonna call you to account for it and the way he did it was sometimes as you said very, very non-gentle, um, yeah. but it was not, but I will say underneath all that, there was a sense of kindness. You didn't feel like he was coming after your personhood. What he was coming after was your horseshit. And hmm. he had no compunction about popping you when it came to that, you know, and, and where, and then he would do it in such a way that he would, he'd be aligning with your other than conscious 
that was looking out for you and working for you while he was popping your conscious stuff that was getting you in trouble. And he was a master at it. I've never been in around anybody who was as skilled as Dave was at doing that. You know, people, I've been around people who can, can pop your stuff, but he, he could maintain that courtesy while he did it when you're other than conscious. And to have that going on was a thing of beauty to observe as he was doing it with somebody else. But when it was a your turn in the seat, you felt it. And it was not always comfortable as you described. You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I, I, um, I brought Dave to New York City to do a, a, a little weekend thing. It wasn't a fun shop. It was a weekend introduction to OTC. It was like a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday event. And um, during that period of time, I, I also hired him basically to do a session. And that was one of the best things I ever did because I always thought, you know, he did hypnosis with people. I always thought he did hypnosis, but he didn't do any hypnosis and not not like an induction, at least. He was telling stories. He was interrupting patterns. He was, you know, cracking jokes. He was, you know, poking me in the stomach or, you know, hitting me in the arm or whatever. But um, it was it was crazy. It was just weird. <laughs> and I expected hypnosis and there wasn't any. So, you know, but boy, when, when he did some hypnosis, when he did that formal, those formal inductions, those tuxedo trances, as you like yeah. to call the formal inductions, he was pretty good. Just uh, just to Very add good. to the end of uh, Mark's story, <clears throat> one of Dave's favorite quotes was stop placing 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag. <laughs> uh, yes, he yeah. had... There were a few other quotes too. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, I like Doug when he was. Go ahead. I was just going to say I loved his description of Steve. Go ahead, Mark. You're up. Yeah, when he came to uh, Lilydale, Elaine was having my wife Elaine was having a lot of uh, panic attacks that was were new. It was not something she'd had in her past and. She had been having them for a number of months and tried a lot of ways to try to resolve it and couldn't. And so she had a session with him too. One session with Dave, they were gone. Hmm. They were completely gone. And he gave her tools to do when panic was starting to set in and she would just do those and boom, anything that would start to come back, she would get on it quickly because of the tools he had given her. And I don't even remember what they were because it was a lot of years ago. But she was able to not sustain those kind of attacks at all. And my God, the poor woman went through 17 years of battling ovarian cancer. You'd think they could have come back, uh, but they did not. And it was just one session with Dave. And those, that level of anxiety never recurred for Elaine. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's really fantastic. So, Mark, you used to do work with people. Like when I first met you, you were doing as many of us were NLP therapies, if you will, with people, NLP sessions with people. And then, like you said to me at that time, you said you didn't know what happened necessarily at the island with Dave, consciously at least, but uh, when you came back, all of your NLP stuff worked better. You just were better at doing those things, got better results with people. But you went on to, again, like Drew, you didn't necessarily do coaching or, or therapy as a, as a practice. You went into politics 
Is that right? Yeah. So, right. so how did uh, how did all this translate into your political life? I think some of the biggest ways it did is I was 14 years an elected official in at both local government level first, and then at the county level. And I'll, you know, in the, in the county level, I dealt with state and, and federal uh, legislators, Congress people, uh, constantly. I, I, we were, I, I didn't grow up in the county in which we lived. I was a newcomer to Chautauqua County where we lived. And after living here about 11 years, I was the chief elected official in this county. If I hadn't been for my, my training with Dave Dobson, that an ability to meet people and establish rapport, establish that courtesy with them, um, I never would have been elected dog catcher here, let alone the equivalent of a mayor and a county executive, you know, because if you're not from a rural county, you know, generally, you're not terribly well accepted, but I would have to say my capacity to connect with people for them to be comfortable with me and to give me the opportunity to be a leader in the community. Yeah, and, and I, I credit Dave, especially, but some, some of the work with Tony, of course, from the NLP lines, but also a lot of that came from my my learnings from Dave and how to relate to people in, on a, and connect with them. And that ability to connect also fed me well because I, I after I left uh, public office as a uh, an elected official, I went into become back to my original profession as dr director of the state park system for Western New York, um, and I also was the one of the lead trainers for our leadership school inside the uh, parks agency for the state government, as well as um, I did training as well on for our senior managers and how to to uh, bring themselves forward and connect with not only their people from an HR, a human resources perspective, but also deal with elected officials in the public. Because I had been a, an elected official, like it helped coach them in those ways. So I haven't done formal coaching as some of the folks that might watch your po podcast there, but I've done a lot of mentoring and training. And there was just direct application to Dave's concepts in all of those environments. Hmm. Cool. Nice. Thank you. So, yeah. So, Drew, tell me more about how you used Dave's work in uh, your business situation. It's, so you would get able to get rapport with people. You, you can uh, get rapport with waitresses. It's, it sounds like pretty well. Um, that's always. Well, we, yeah. And, and it, it, it's with anyone. Um, the easiest people to build rapport are the ones that are out of rapport with themselves. <clears throat> and Dave used to say, those are the markers that you can build rapport with because they're so evident. They're so obvious. Tell, and, tell me how they're obvious. Tell me what's, what's a, how do you well, tell who's out of rapport with themselves? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, if a person's angry, you can really tell by their movements, maybe they're throwing stuff around at, at that level of, of violence. And there's also some, some inner sensations that are uh, speaking, not necessarily on a vibratory level, but all of us have this sense of self. And the OTC is a communication bridge to that sense, to that sense of self. And Dave used to talk about that. That's why I, I spoke about the heart area. Mm -hmm. And he also talked about your own housekeeping patterns. So 
as you're keeping yourself safe, as he used to say, we're always looking out for friendlies, people that are congruent with us. And then we know to strike conversations with them. Well, in the same way with a person who is in anger, an example, I was at a, uh, a hockey game, not a professional hockey game. And all of a sudden, <laughs> these two women started going at it. And I'm just about a couple, you know, seats away from them. <clears throat> and I noticed the one woman was sort of looking like, how can I get out of this? And I don't know what I did, but it got the attention of the other woman. She turned around and stopped. And of course, the woman that was looking towards me, she also stopped. And then they just started yelling at each other. So they, they weren't physical with each other anymore. It had calmed down for some reason. Hmm. And, you know, I still don't know what it was from my housekeeping patterns of being safe and secure, but something came from that. And, you know, it, it they were still obviously arguing and having issues. However, it did alleviate the situation quite a bit. Could you... And, could you tell us a little bit more what, what you mean by housekeeping? I'm not sure that's a term most people are going to be understanding. Yeah, the, the, the housekeeping patterns are basically what keep keeps a person comfortable. And a lot of us are totally unaware of these unless we're, once again, we, we get a fear response. But you're not, you're not talking about vacuuming or dusting, housekeeping stuff. In, in, internally, yes. <laughs> Internally cleaning up your knocking, own knocking out the cobwebs between the ears, old boy. Okay. But um these these housekeeping patterns, they they sort of keep the clutter organized. And a lot of us are just going through our day, as a lot of people call it, the nine to five regimen, and we're we're not necessarily stopping to notice that. One housekeeping pattern, if frustration is building or what we call stress today, which is a bunch of baloney, um, all, you, all you need to do is just take a deep breath in. You'll notice people doing this all the time. They'll exhale. Their shoulders will drop. And you can tell they sort of it was a reset. And so these housekeeping patterns like that one or there's other ones, you know, some people will go and grab a, a drink. Some people will go and grab, you know, something to eat. Dave was saying, if you're truly congruent, your OTC will take care of it for you. You won't have to externalize. So people who are obese, it may be that, quote, eating disorder is nothing more than not using the housekeeping patterns as elegantly as the person would if they were congruent with their OTC, their hmm. other than conscious. And there's there's a bunch of housekeeping patterns. He usually named off about eight or 10, and I can't remember in the paper or see it in the paperwork I have in front of me, but he always stated, you know, make sure you know your housekeeping patterns are keeping you kept and well-kept. Hmm. Cool. If you think of any specific housekeeping patterns, uh, let us know. But I will say that you know one of the things I always got from Dave was the idea that um, we are patterned animals. That we oh, yeah. we live according to patterns. It's, it's our it's 
it's not really our conscious mind, as Marx, you said earlier on, if, if, if you're good at anything, you do it other than consciously. Like when I play the piano or whatever, it's like, it's just happening. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't think, how do I raise this finger? What's next? Just, you just do it talking. You just think yeah. what you want to say and it just happens. It's pretty complex to do what we do, to pass air over the larynx and that sort of thing, but it just happens. You know, most of what we do, 98, 99, whatever percent of it is, other than conscious, right? It really is. So um, we are pattern animals. We, we, we have responses to stuff and we do the same thing pretty much every time. We put the left pant leg on first. We put the right pant leg on second. We, we shave in the same way or put our earrings on the same way, lipstick, you know, it's the same thing every time. So it's not a question of can you wake up from trances? It's a question of can you put yourself into better trances, more useful trances, more useful patterns that are going to be, you know, helping you to get what you need, you know, in more elegant ways. <clears throat> Drew, I think you used the word elegance before, didn't you? Did I hear you? Yeah, say it's, um, uh, to me, the, the, the two words I like to use together is effortless elegance. Hmm. And it, it really is effortless. And, you know, Dave, Dave proved it. When, when people would come up and say, well, you, you know, you're, you're not doing hypnosis, so I don't want to take the course. And Dave would remind him, this isn't about hypnosis. This is about an other than conscious system that communicates far better than what you say or what you do. Those are the, you know, OTC is like the preamble but it's really the foundation of all communication for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a few of his things he would talk about, you know, as Mark said, OTC is always purposeful. It's not rational nor logical. The conscious can take some time off. Right. And that's one thing that people get so stressed out. They're tired. It's like, really? Well, learn, learn about this stuff. This stuff is so incredible, and I benefited from it because of, you know, the work as a fire test engineer dealing with these, you know, state, county, and federal officials. Like Mark, because, you know, God, <laughs> you got to be really good to handle that guy. <laughs> good. good. Yeah. Did you ever have to do stuff with Chautauqua County with, uh, with Mark's? No, not with Mark, but uh, I, I was in that um area for a couple of hospitals and public buildings throughout throughout all, i mean i i did the entire uh yeah. united states i've been in every oh, state wow. in, in the 25 years i used to travel about i used to drive about seventy-eight thousand miles a year wow to get back and forth to places so it's a lot of driving oh yeah and the otc was a uh, purposeful friend in all those drives, especially around cities like New York. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Uh, well, the best place to drive. You know, here I am. I'm <laughs> one of the housekeeping patterns. Okay, I'm driving and I know I'm on, uh, what is it, 270 that goes around through New Jersey? I forgot I don't know. Uh, the interstate, but anyways. Um, a lot of times slowdowns and accidents and it would be right around a turn and all of a sudden I'd get a sense with myself, hey, slow down. Huh? 
and I'm not seeing anything except open road. And sure enough, I come around the corner, 75, 80 miles an hour, and it's time to put on the brakes. Right. So I, as Dave said, give thanks, say thank you. And mm-hmm. I always do. Yeah, that is something that I always loved about Dave's thing. He said, you know, thank the other unconscious. When you do something elegantly, when you do something like that, exactly. thank you. You know, thank thank that other than conscious part for for giving you that gift. I loved his phrase also that the uh, conscious mind is a gift from the other than conscious mind. Absolutely, that's, that's a great phrase. Yeah, nice. That was one of his big ones. Another yeah. thing, Doug, that I I think, and this could be very helpful in a practical way for the people who are watching your podcast, and that is Dave's work was he taught us to to be curious and wonder versus think our way through situations. Yeah. He said, you're all trained to think, you know, you know, thinking is really big in our culture. But he said, when you learn the most in your life, it was before you were six years old. And, and when you were even younger than that, you wondered about how to do things constantly. You were curious about how to do things. And when you're hanging out with young children, you see how they really live and they grow and learn so fast. They learn how to speak language, feed you know, eat, to walk, to talk, all the things they learn how to do, they they learn by curiosity and wonder more than they do somebody telling them what to do and then hearing stuff. They just see big people in their lives doing things and they start doing those things as best they can until they can make their body work in a way to get them upright or to do whatever they want to do, including complicated tasks like you just mentioned about speaking, you know, alone. And he said, the way we learned best when we were young was curiosity and wonder. And he said, that's where you need to spend more time. If something is not going well in your life, things are not going to get curious about, number one, how that is serving you, what you're doing right now, how it's serving you versus the foe, how it's working against you, but how is it serving you? Get curious about that and wonder what it is and how it's working for you and what it's doing for you versus what it's not. And he said, then you can get underneath that and then figure out, well, I wonder what other ways I could accomplish what I'm trying to do here that might be better aligned with where I am in my life right now. And that might be very helpful to some of the folks doing coaching. And then the other concept that he drove home at us real hard was to appreciate versus to try to understand ourselves and other people and situations that we get into with people. Um, He said, appreciate where, what, what is going on with them and he said that brings you into your gut it brings you into your other than conscious because that's the level at which you appreciate things and it's more of a feeling level thing when you try to understand he said it's corrosive you're trying to break things down into its pieces instead of dealing with the whole picture of things and he said the other than conscious only deals with holes it doesn't deal with pieces it's it's that in the wholeness of how we respond to situations that and the only way you get there is to bring yourself out of your head and into your gut to go from understanding trying to understand which is a corrosive process he described it as and then go down to appreciating the situation and appreciating the people you're with so that in fact you can better relate to them on a, on a personal level and it also what it was doing was getting you out of the conscious mind and down and and up working from more effectively from your other than conscious and your communication. Well, well said. Thank you. Yeah, it was also, Dave was also left brain, right brain oriented. He'd like to talk about that as a concept, although 
knowing it full well was a concept and not a, a tried and true for sure thing, but it was a good concept to have. And he liked to just always tell us to, to not left brain things, just to not overthink them, not to try to make them too left brained, but to, to trust basically your instincts, your gut, your other than conscious mind. Very yeah, cool. that, that's, that's his cross filing uh -huh. uh, teaching about the right and left brain. The left is digital. It's all information. And your right hemisphere has the feelings and experiences. And he would often say, <clears throat> when you experience something, <clears throat> which of those three files are you using? And so be elegant and be humble to rest with yourself and be able to delineate, hmm, that one came out of the emotion. That's what started the, you know, recognizing the experience and, you know, or was it digital? And, and it's not that either of them are right or wrong. It's just knowing how you communicate. And as, as Mark had mentioned, you know, if you're thinking about stuff, you're not checking in. And the checking in is the emotional feeling. And what, what Dave would say is the OTC. It's the combination of all three. And the o OTC has a better uh, sense of self. So communicate with that sense of self within you first. And a lot of a, a lot of teachings that are left brain. That's why Dave used to call NLP nilpers. Oh, they learned this process. And the one phone call he had with Erickson. Oh, by the way, I sent you that photograph with Erickson and Dobson. Okay. Out at Camelback. It was the only time Dave saw Erickson. And I guess a few months later, uh, Erickson passed. So, um, but anyways. You know, Dobson was always one to, you know, the congruency is about inclusiveness, not being exclusive. So don't teach a person a pattern. Know the patterns that are congruent within the person and expound on those to help them to heal. Nice. Nice. I just downloaded your picture. I'll see if I can get it up for people. It's a lovely photograph. You can see what you mean. How that's uh, this? You took a picture of a of a photograph that was in a frame with glass. Yeah, yeah so it has a sort of like translucent. Yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah, it's still it's a nice picture. Yeah. It's, it's it's a much better picture than the other one that I had of them, which was I think just kind of a candid picture where you know they're just talking with each other and. Um, right. This is actually they're, they're posed and they both are smiling and looking at the camera. There, there's a good story behind that picture before uh, before it was taken. Oh yeah, what's the story? Oh well, um, Dave flew down in his in his cadet plane and got there unfortunately late on this weekend class that um, Erickson had asked him to come to. So Dave quietly came into the back of the room. And it was just about an hour or so, Dave said, of, you know, watching Erickson work. And so he decided to stay as the last person. I guess Erickson would stay near the door or uh, stay near the door and say goodbye to people as they left the room. Dave 
was walking out and Erickson takes his not so good arm and sort of latches it onto his shirt and, and goes, I understand. And Dave goes, what do you mean you understand? I'm just saying goodbye here. He goes, no, I understand a man of your age wanting to retire. <laughs> and at that time, Dave was like in his mid fifties, somewhere around there. And, and uh, you know, Dave went walking out, you know, they said a few other things and he goes, damn it, I stayed in the business. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I remember that part where Dave came out of retirement and started doing his fun shops. Thank goodness. Yeah. That is, that's a great story. Yes, I understand you need to retire, man, of your advanced years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, and what was what was Erickson in his late eighties, somewhere around? Oh there. yeah, at least yeah. Uh, well, not not in his late eighties. Eighties. Yeah. He, he died at eighty. Died. Was, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, Doug. One of the other things I was thinking of uh, regarding uh, Dave. You know, Dave would. There were no sacred cows with the man, <laughs> right. and. What I mean, you know, like like he would take on the whole the whole modern psychology thing that there's no idiot with the statement no idiot behind your wheel. He also would take on folks who were training people in hypnosis, and he he had he would he was very blunt with them about the way he looked at, at things. He says you hypnotize no one, everybody hypnotizes themselves, yeah. and then he would go on and say there's the trans depth trans depth is meaningless which would really rankle people who are big on, on hypnosis because, oh, you got to have deep trance to get any effectiveness, you know? And then the last thing he would say is aversion therapies are an indignation to the other than conscious. So if you, you installing through hypnotic means or suggestions or whatever you're doing uh, to create aversions to get people to stop a behavior, that actually what you're doing is a grand indignation because as Dave felt, those, those behaviors were purposeful and they were serving a function unless you dealt with that function all you were doing was going to like squeezing a balloon it's going to balloon out another direction and you're going to get all kinds of sublimated behaviors that were going to be could be very destructive to the person so he, he felt aversion therapy was real bad and for a lot of folks that use aversion therapy and hypnosis they didn't like what dave had to say at all but i think you know from my experience of working with people is he was right on with the way he was approaching these things that I'll tell you a quick, a quick story of, of uh, you asked earlier, Doug, about some therapeutic. I'll tell you a story, one of my fastest therapy sessions I ever did. And I, I totally ascribe it to Dave. We were at Tony Robbins master track and Dave had been there a few days earlier. And this is how quickly his stuff was integrating within me. There was this woman that came there from New York city. We were from New York at the time too. And, um, she had gotten herself into the master track course and had never gone through the basic training. And I don't know how she wheedled herself in, but she did. And she was totally unprepared for doing the, the, for the learnings that were going on in the master track. She should have been in the basic NLP track uh, program that was going on. Anyway, she comes up to me in the lunch line, right? And she says, are you Mark Thomas? I said, yes, I am. She said, I hear you're really good with the therapy with this. And I said, that's what people say about me. Yes. And she said, well, I've, 
I have a smoking habit and I want to stop. And and I haven't I have used all kinds of means to you know and I'm a hypnotist and I'm this and I'm that and I've never been able to stop. So I'll bet you're you're the person that could help me stop. And I looked I just turned in the lunch line and faced her and I looked at her and I said, Why don't you do it? And then I paused, do it yourself. And I turned around and went down the lunch line. Three days later. I run into her in the court, in the main course room. I said, so how you doing? And she said, oh, I'm doing really good. I said, how's, have you, how's the smoking going? She goes, I quit. And I looked at her and I said, no kidding. What did you do to stop smoking? She said, quoted in the same tone and cadence of which I had delivered that message right in at her other than God. I did it myself. <laughs> exactly. Pacing, tone, everything. I did it myself. And I said, oh, that's the best way. And I turned and walked away. And I checked in with her later. And she not, she said, she said, yeah, I'm done smoking. You know, now, whether it lasted long term, I don't know, because I never saw her again in my life. But it was one of those moments where the elegance of Dave Dobson's work and how it had already integrated and I hadn't noticed it happened. Yeah. It was just boom. And it was all about that align internal alignment with her external behavior thing I talked about earlier. Very cool. Very, very cool. And, and another little uh, evidence that it's like it doesn't always have to be put you in trance, do do therapy, take out of trance, you know, whatever. Um, just by the way, I've I've gotten this uh, picture of Dave, but for some reason it insists on being sideways. Yes. So. That's the picture of Dave. Uh, Dave's on the left. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's there cool. they are. Yeah. And I, I don't know why it's sideways. It wasn't sideways until I uploaded it to Streamyard here, but nevertheless, I'll take take him out of there. But thanks for that picture, Drew. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And really uh, good. of course, he's in that purple suit. Good old Milton. Yes. <laughs> yes, I recently found pictures that I'd been looking for. Uh, it was weird because I spent hours looking for these photographs that I'd taken at Milton's house. I went to visit um, Milton. He was dead, but his wife was there. And I had a lovely visit with, with Elizabeth Erickson. And I sat in Milton's chair in his office and that sort of thing. And I, I had pictures I, and I couldn't find them. I, I have a picture of me sitting in Milton's chair. That's so many pictures. And I couldn't find it. And then just... The other day, I just opened up my phone and this Siri thinks you might be interested in this photo. It's like, yes, I'm interested in that photo. <laughs> I've been looking for that photo. So I have a picture of me sitting. See, yeah, that's OTC. Yeah, thanks, Siri. <laughs> On the camera. <laughs> On the camera. <laughs> exactly. I also loved, speaking of acronyms like OTC, I love Dave's. Um, RCV. That was a great acronym. Oh, yeah. 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 Very descriptive of uh, some yeah. people's uh, condition. <laughs> Does anybody want to go there? No, it's your <laughs> show, Doug. Go ahead. I, I, yeah. I did the 10 Canal pounds of crap. Yeah, yeah so uh, RCV yeah, stood, stood for uh, rectal canal vision. Yes, thank you. Rectal <laughs> canal vision so that a person has their head severely lodged up their 
rectum. You know what? Yeah. Yes. The other thing I loved he would do, he would snap his finger like that, and he goes, in that much time, 50,000 cells died in your body, and you replaced them with identical cells. What, what did your conscious mind have to do with any of that? Uh-huh. That's a good point. Well, that made a point real fast, you know? Whammo. You know? So. Yeah, he was, that was Dave. <laughs> I don't want to, um, I know we're, we're over the hour already. So I, 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 um, I've been listening to Andrew uh, Huberman. He's, he does like two hours long podcasts. I think I'm, I'm thinking long term here, but I know it's over an hour. I don't want to take too much more time, but I do have a curious, you know, it, it popped in my mind, Mark, when you're talking about you helping that woman quit smoking, she had a desire to quit smoking. She hadn't accomplished it, but you helped her to accomplish it. But Dave smoked like a, chimney or, or at least a lot he smoked a lot and um you'd think i thought a lot of people thought that if he was such a damn good hypnotist how come he didn't ever get himself to quit smoking and um you know he did not die a easy death with his um, copd and having oxygen in the last few years of his life um why why do you think I'm sure he quit by the time he was on oxygen, but why don't why do you think that perhaps he didn't ever get himself to quit? I guess a couple of things I would say. One is I I had conversations with him about it. he really enjoyed smoking. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed the experience of smoking. It was not an unpleasurable thing or a thing he desired to quit. And so he obviously had the means that other people may not have, as you mentioned, Doug. But he didn't he didn't. He didn't feel a desire to do that. Yes. Did he pay a price later on for it? Oh, he sure did. Um, you know, we all do. I think one of the things I've learned is I've aged too. I'm at 69 and, you know, I've had a full life too. And I said, you know, I think, and somebody said it recently, I think it was John O'Donoghue in one of his books. It's where our contradictions are is where we have opportunities for growth. You know, it's not where we got it all figured out that we grow. It's where we don't have it all figured out. We have, a, have an opportunity for growth. I would say that probably later in life, Dave looked back at all that smoking. And there's, a, as you mentioned, there's a contradiction there, right? Where there's an incongruency there in certain levels. Absolutely. But he had, a, he had an opportunity for growth in that. And he either took it or he didn't. And where he went with it, he was comfortable going through. In the end, he may have thought about it differently. I can't say speak for the man, but he did have a tough out. You know, no question about it. When you can't breathe, um on your way out of here that's a very tough out and you know while he was building up to that there was obvious contradictions in the man and we all have those contradictions and we have opportunities there to address those things in our lives or not depending on how where we are and what we want to do with our lives and i think um that's how i would look at look at it with dave i just hold the man in very high regard um for both his things that he was really good at and things that he was very human and and those contradictions were clearly there with Dave and um, but at the same token I I have had very few people in my life who have taught me as much as he did that I've been able to integrate into my life yeah Drew do you have anything you want to add to that yeah I mean just um, about um, Dave with the with the smoking uh, at one time I was there and I think it was a couple days after a fun shop, I was, you know, hanging out on, on the Island and, you know, seeing the sights. Uh, 
Um, he just all of a sudden quit. He just, he, you know, I wasn't there for that moment, but I noticed and I didn't say anything, you know, there wasn't the, the ashtray on the kitchen table filled with butts and, you know, the sort of bucket by him to just, you know, put them in. But he said, yeah, you know, I just made the decision. I was done. I just crumpled up a half pack and threw it in the garbage. And that was it for me. Hmm. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and he, he also commented, I'm, I'm just anybody else. You know, I'm, I'm not some, you know, great learned teacher or master. I'm Dave Dobson. And by the way, this is what I've learned about communication. Mm -hmm. That's nice. That's good. Remember, uh, Mark Twain once said that uh, he, quitting smoking was easy. He did it thousands of times himself. And that, uh, <laughs> um, and that there was uh, one time, you know, he'd, he'd successfully quit smoking and, and drinking and eating all manner of things that disagreed with each other's company and, and was doing just fine health-wise. But then he decided... Life just wasn't worth living without smoking and drinking in it. So he went back to his old habits and was a much happier man since then. Indeed. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. This is so much fun. And by the way, it's not just fun. I I, I remember and learn things that I'd forgotten that I'd learned mm -hmm. when I do these programs with you guys. So I'm really grateful to you to spend some time in your, your, your shared wisdom and learnings with us all. Yep. Thank you, Doug. It's been a delightful conversation. It also just kind of reinvigorates some of the, the things we all experience and sharing the stories is always fun. Good to Great. see you two again. It's been a long yeah, time. Good to see you too. Been a long time. Yep. Those those files are cross-filing. <laughs> good. Indeed they are. Thanks for the, doing that. See you guys. <laughs> okay, thanks. All right. Thanks. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.